Chris Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer's Natter, just talking to teachers. Okay, so welcome back again, Kate, to Nailers Natter. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> I said to Sam Strickland last week that if you get three appearances, you get a match ball now. So I'm not going to, I could produce a Man United match ball for you, couldn't we? Oh, I'd love that. Uh, am I, why, have you had a few people who've had three appearances? No, there's only Sam Strickland that we can't, uh, you know, he's, he's had three appearances so far. Um, as as I speak to you tonight, this is due to be next week's episode when he gets his uh, official match ball that I haven't bought yet. But I'm sure we'll send one across and we'll get you a Man United one set over there. Although the postage and packing kit out there will be quite expensive, won't it? Yeah, I know. Send me one virtually. But no, I look forward <laughs> to that. He's, he's always good. He does a lot of podcasts. He must he must love them. <laughs> he does. He, he definitely does. Okay, so back to you anyway. So this podcast is a sequel to our last podcast, which actually hasn't seen the light of day yet, but might do um, as, a, as a nice accompaniment to this one. So our last podcast, we did talk about retrieval practice, research and resources for every classroom. So either listeners have just heard this or um, they're just jumping in with this one now. So um, just fill us in a little bit, for those that aren't aware of it, of the, the kind of background knowledge um, that, you've, that you've put into this book from the last one. So, well, basically the first book, and I only ever intended to write one book about retrieval practice, and, I, and it was a combination of, as it's called in the title, research and resources. The background, the basics that I considered cognitive psychology about retrieval practice, and then classroom ideas. But in the, in the last year, I've carried out a lot of work with schools in my own school, I've encountered new research or research that I hadn't discovered before. And I just ended up, before you know it, I've written another book about retrieval practice. <laughs> but it is very different. I've been very mindful of the fact that people who will read my second book will have very likely read the first book about retrieval practice. So yes, it's, it's this book is about implementing, embedding and reflecting was the first book is more of an introduction to retrieval practice. Absolutely. So, yes, the book that we're, just, we're talking about is Retrieval Practice 2, Implementing, Embedding and Reflecting. And hopefully that'll be coming out fairly soon when this podcast comes out. So since we last talked and since you started the second, so the first and oh, I'll start again. Since you started the last book, um, the, the research has moved a little bit. So what does the latest research tell us about retrieval practice? Yeah, well, in my first book, I was referring to research from 1885 with Ebbinghaus, but actually teachers have only become familiar with that in recent years. So <laughs> I've gone a little bit more modern with the research and there's a whole chapter dedicated to the latest research, which I decided to focus on within the last five years, um, maybe a few exceptions, but um, the research is really interesting. Um, there's, there, we still are in a position with retrieval practice where more research is needed and more research is taking place in classroom conditions because obviously that's a really important aspect that I explore in the book about the difference between the research carried out in laboratories in America and then actually applying it to our own classroom. 
So that is really interesting. And actually, Patrice Bain, she's featured on your podcast before, hasn't she? Um, she features in my book. And years ago, um, Roy Digger, Henry, Professor Henry Roy Digger, um, Mark McDaniel, Pooja Agarwal, they went into her classroom to carry out research. So there is a little bit of a misconception that people think that research in terms of retrieval practice hasn't happened in classrooms, and that's not true. But we do need more research to take place in classrooms. And then the questions that I've been asked when I've been working with schools have really shaped this chapter. I've been asked questions about retrieval practice and gender. I've been asked questions about retrieval practice and learners of a different abilities. Um, and all of these, these questions that I've been asked, I've then gone away and I've been trying to dig and find some more research and I share the answers to that in my book. So I don't want to give too much away, <laughs> give it all spoilers. But those are some of the things that I talk about. I talk about what does the research say about multiple choice testing, about pre-questions, about what, what else is there about forgetting, and uh, limitations of retrieval practice. Because as passionate as I am about retrieval practice, I am always the first to advocate that it is one strategy out of many strategies in our teaching and learning toolkit. And it's not a silver bullet in education because there isn't one, pretty much. No, absolutely. So you've talked in detail there about the evidence and that's becoming more clear and you, like you said, you're going right back to 1885. Um, so now, obviously lots of people have been doing retrieval for practice for quite a while in classrooms um, based on your book and, and other people that you refer referenced there. So is there any evidence now that retrieval practice is starting to work in a classroom setting? Yes, there is. There is evidence. Um, and well, actually, Rob Coe um, wrote a really interesting piece for the EEF where he, he basically questioned how effective is retrieval practice and had some valid concerns about the implementation of retrieval practice and said that the EEF are now going to look at retrieval practice in the UK and compare classes that will start off a lesson with an engaging discussion in comparison to classes that will carry out a retrieval activity. But there's there's lots of examples of researchers going into classrooms, like Patrice, for example, is, a, is an excellent example, how researchers contacted her, asked to go in her classroom. She did see the benefits herself. Even This is even before the research was published. She could just see it before her eyes. And then that's why she is such a passionate advocate for using retrieval practice in the classroom. But as am I, research is only one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it. It's because of the outcomes, it's because of the increased confidence, both myself as a teacher and my students. So it really, we are all now embracing retrieval practice and seeing for ourselves the benefits. So many teachers I talk to who are now implementing retrieval practice just have this enlightened moment where and I feel the same way where we think why weren't we doing this sooner and perhaps we weren't using lesson time as effectively in the past so yes and there is a review that I explore about um, the different studies about classroom um, context and it does it does say that further research is needed but that generally the research is very positive uh, and overwhelming 
And alongside that evidence, you present quite a few case studies um, that are really interesting and really relevant. So would you be able to share with listeners some of those case studies? And if we can start with, is it Hugh Richards at Huntington School? Yes. The case studies throughout this book are absolutely incredible. And um, I attended a webinar with Hugh. So Huntington School in York, that's a well-known school, but it's a research school. They're doing great work. John Thompson, a head teacher there. So um, uh, with the Historical Association, Hugh delivered a webinar about cognitive psychology, but specifically with a history focus. And I had never attended any CPD that was subject specific whilst talking about cognitive psychology as well, because retrieval, obviously, it tends to be generic because it works across all subjects. It works across all ages. Um, and that session with Hugh was absolutely brilliant. And what he has done as a middle leader in, in terms of, OK, we are, we're going to look at retrieval practice. We're going to embed it. We're going to actually introduce it into our lessons and our schemes of work. We're going to evaluate it. Whether you, you teach history or not, it doesn't matter because Hugh's case study as a middle leader is superb. It's really good. Uh, and then the other case study in the book, um, so I worked with a school in Northern Ireland and James Maxwell was the head teacher and he's also doing great things, but on a whole school level, because this is what I wanted to talk about was that, of course, teachers have to be embracing retrieval practice, but the attitudes and the approaches from leadership are incredibly important as well, middle and senior leaders. Things that James has done. So James um, and his school sent out a survey to parents asking if parents were familiar with the term retrieval practice, if they knew what it was, if they, they'd ever seen their children at home self-testing, uh, if, they, if they knew why they were doing that. Um, and that links in actually Patrice Bain is a case study in the book where she's uh, written a lot about how we really need to educate the parents about the power of retrieval practice. So this is where we are going a lot deeper now into retrieval, into the implementing it, the embedding it and the reflecting on it. And actually as head of history, you know, I learned a lot from Hugh and um, I'm really, really impressed with, and I'm really privileged with not just the teacher case studies, but the academics that are featured in my book as well. Absolutely. And we'll come to that maybe uh, slightly later on. Just another question that came up in the early chapters, Kate, is whether you think retrieval practice is appropriate for all learners in their classrooms. So what is the evidence around uh, SEND students, for example, or potentially students with ADHD? Yeah, there's a research paper published this year about students um, with ADHD, and that was really interesting. The, the general consensus, and I have reached out to people who are experts in this field, and I've asked for their advice. Um, I contacted Gareth Morwood, people, people who really have a lot of expertise working with students with learning difficulties. Now, the research is very consistent, saying that it is an effective strategy in terms of students of all abilities and all ages and with gender but there are a few sort of, sort of side notes to be aware of so uh, I did write about younger students in my first book and how younger students will certainly need a lot more support so they would have they should do retrieval activities that either involve recognition like multiple choice or cued recall so recall but with some supports and prompts 
And actually, that was a suggestion for students with learning difficulties, that they will just need that little bit more um, guidance and structure. So a brain dump, which people are probably very familiar with, um, write everything you can recall about this topic, that can be very challenging and overwhelming. Some students, younger students or students, like you mentioned about SEND, um, may not know where to begin, may not be able to understand what is actually being asked, what information. So there's small things that we can do to provide cues and prompts to still allow them the opportunity for retrieval because they will benefit from that, but it's just a case of adapting. And in terms of gender, um, I contacted uh, Matt Pinkett, Mark Roberts, authors of Boys Don't Try, and we've had conversations um, and there is research, but not much about gender. Um, the research that I do refer to and explore in the book basically doesn't say that there's any difference in terms of cognitive abilities. And we should definitely use retrieval practice with boys and girls. But, and perhaps when I've, <laughs> I've shared this with other people and they haven't been surprised by the research findings, but the research suggested that girls tend to be more receptive to these retrieval, uh, to actually embracing retrieval and space practice than boys can be. So that's just something for us to be mindful of that. And this isn't, I don't think, specific to gender because trying to encourage students to use retrieval practice instead of highlighting and underlining, that could be a challenge in itself. But it, it is something to be mindful of and that male students might feel that highlighting and underlining well that's enough at least I'm doing some revision whereas we really do need to encourage them more to be using these effective high utility study strategies. Absolutely so if we go and look at another case study if that's possible Kate so um, if you look at maximizing the effectiveness of multiple choice questions and I think that's Blake Harvard is it so yeah. tell listeners a little bit more about that case study. Well, Blake Harvard is incredible. He has written a lot of blogs about multiple choice questions. He, he has a cognitive psychology background himself. Um, he's got a great blog where he's trying to close the gap between academic research and classroom practice. And before writing this book, I, I didn't really give multiple choice questions as much thought and consideration as I should have. And, and Blake gives um, lo lots of different examples. Um, the example uh, that is included in the book is where students will write the, select, write the answer that they have selected from the multiple choice and then explain why the other options are incorrect. And there's also the option to draw an illustration as well. But whilst that might take longer and that probably not practical every lesson, we know that an issue with multiple choice questioning could be potential guesswork. So by explaining why this option, option B, couldn't be the right answer, we're just taking that recall further. But another option that you can have in a multiple choice quiz is to have the option, I don't know yet. Because uh, um, it might be difficult for students to do that, but if they were honest, it would be more useful for the teacher than the teacher trying to figure out if they just had an educated guess or a random lucky guess. And that is something I explore in a lot of detail. I talk about the pros and cons of multiple choice questions. And even though there are pros and cons, 
I am an advocate for using multiple choice questions, but just having a quick search online, I went on quizzes, which is a great um, retrieval quizzing website. And there's all these public quizzes available that teachers have very kindly and generously shared. But it was really interesting to look through these questions. And something that I kept seeing was that I would find a quiz on a topic that I knew nothing about, but I could answer the questions correctly because the other options, the distractors, were so blatantly incorrect or silly or comical that that just made me then think, well, actually, I have, I have no knowledge of, of this topic, but I know that must be the correct answer. So that's a wasted retrieval opportunity. And, I, and, and that's basically what the second chapter of the book focuses on is the common mistakes that teachers, myself included, but mistakes that we have made when it comes to retrieval practice. And this is a really important part of the reflection. My mum always says, why are you always talking about the bad things that you've done? Why don't you, you know, big yourself up and say, uh, say yeah, about something great you've done? And I said, no, but mum, that, that's part of reflecting is, is sharing what works, but also sharing what doesn't work. So actually let's look at these common mistakes and then think, how can we avoid them? How can we address them? How can we prevent these mistakes from happening in the classroom when it comes to retrieval practice? Absolutely. And talking about developing people and, you know, um, CPD is something that we're really passionate about here at Nailers Natter. And we're still, you know, very fortunate to be uh, supported by the Teacher Development Trust in that area. So um, there's a lot of discourse around CPD, particularly CPD online or CPD perhaps not being prioritised, understandably, in the current circumstances. So what are the implications uh, for CPD of adopting retrieval practice? Well, yeah, uh, I've written about this as well because if retrieval practice is going to be a priority in a school then it should be a, a CPD priority as well you know it's no good just saying right retrieval practice this is the latest thing this is what it is go off and do it because this is this is what has happened in the past and um, with what we deem buzzwords this has sort of happened with growth mindset in the past where growth mindset was really popular. Mary Myatt said, live it, don't laminate it, because it was posters everywhere. Um, so there really does need to be um, quality assurance with retrieval practice as well, that there's, first of all, the good grasp and knowledge and understanding of the cognitive psychology and the benefits and the limitations of retrieval practice. Although this is something that I'm still not sure about is, how much of the cognitive psychology do teachers need to know? I think um, it is important and it has certainly helped me, but I'm also the author of a book about retrieval practice. Therefore, <laughs> I have read X amount of books, which wouldn't usually be advisable because actually we need to develop our subject knowledge. We need to be considering um, pastoral issues, well-being, that there's a, a whole host of areas of professional development that need covering. But then we really do need to look at the implementation and keep reflecting on this, reviewing this. Um, there's lots of ways that we can go about this as a school. Um, lots of teachers contact me and they have taken an interest in retrieval practice, so therefore they are naturally leading the way internally with retrieval practice. And they will contact me and ask a question and 
possibly I can answer it or I know somebody who can. And I think these discussions are really important for us to, to have this effective implementation of retrieval practice. Definitely. So in terms of that CPD, um, you talk about this in the book. What is it that you think teachers should or need to know about retrieval practice? Yeah, well, this is amazing because that's the question that I put to the academics um, and their, their answers varied. And then I said, actually, we need to think about what students and parents really need to know about retrieval practice. It is quite hard to condense that. I think initially my response would have been, yeah, it works. You need to know it works. But that's that would be a mistake. <laughs> um, I think there's, there's a few things that teachers need to know. Um, well, there's actually a lot. The whole book <laughs> covers what teachers should know about retrieval practice. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions. Probably one of the main ones being that retrieval practice is just a starter activity. And it's been slightly mutated into a five minute task at the start of a lesson and only limited to that. And I think if we're going to do this strategy justice and do it properly, then it, it, do, it is more than a five minute task because we need students need time to actually engage with the retrieval. We need time for feedback, for reflection. It, it can be used at any point in the lesson. Um, I haven't encountered any research that says it should be used at the start of a lesson. Paul Kirshner has said before you move on to something new, review the old, which so that is good advice. And the start of a lesson is a good time to use retrieval practice. But if you're thinking about rose and shine and the idea of eight to 10 minutes of review and you're limiting retrieval practice to that, then I don't think we will really reap the benefits of that. So, so really, uh, I, I suppose my answer to that question is, is that teachers need to know how powerful it is and, and the benefits of it, and that it goes much more further than a starter activity. Definitely, and there's obviously more uh, in the book. So like you said at the beginning, we don't want to give too much away, do we? we want to make sure that uh, you know people are rushing out to buy it uh, in their thousands as they did with the first one. Now, you've alluded to the fact that your mum said about why you always dwelling on the mistakes, but I think it's worth going through, and you do this in the book. What are those most common mistakes with retrieval practice? I know you've mentioned a couple already, but then more importantly, I suppose, how can we avoid them? Yeah, so, well... Regular reflection is one of the reason, uh, one of the ways that we, we can avoid them and just conversations that I've had with teachers about retrieval practice and uh, one of the mistakes that I've made in the past that I've been guilty of was the lack of feedback or feedback time and reflection um, because retrieval practice lends itself so well to self-assessment or a digital quiz will mark it for you that it's tempting to do the quiz, students can see the score, let's move on. And I barely touched upon feedback in the first book. Uh, I mentioned it, I said it was important, but I think that's probably a reflection of, of myself at that time. Of, of I would have a look at the general results and the whole class overview, and it was insightful to me, but there, there'd be many students who would look at their score They'd say, oh, I've got you know, 12 out of 15, but they wouldn't look where they've gone wrong. They wouldn't, act, they, there's gaps in their knowledge, but they don't know where those gaps are. And 
that's another missed opportunity because that's an indirect benefit of retrieval practice. When you know what you know and what you don't know, it's incredibly powerful. But if you're doing a quick five minute quiz and you're like, right, okay, right, we're done, check your score, let's move on. And you haven't actually had time to discuss where the class have gone wrong, to, to give students that time to reflect uh, and then try and close those gaps in their knowledge then I really do think we're missing a trick with retrieval practice there in terms of feedback. Definitely. And you also talk about, and you said that it's not just an activity for the start of lessons. So you talk about this idea of um, you know, varying the retrieval diet. So just tell us a little bit about how we can, um, as teachers, vary the retrieval diet. Yeah, I love that phrase. It's from Tom Sherrington. <laughs> he, he, he's written a lot about retrieval practice as well because it links in with his work on Rose and Shine. Um, vary the diet. I see that in a few ways. I see that as vary the task design. Um, vary the, in that, my first book was just filled with retrieval activities that you could easily just download, adapt uh, and use in your lessons to keep it, it interesting. Um, but not just that, but also the types of retrieval. So we've got recognition with multiple choice questions. And as I said, they've got their pros. Um, they can, that multiple choice questions can boost retrieval success and confidence, but we shouldn't rely on that. We should also use cued recall, recall with some support, and then free recall, where there's no support. And that is harder, it requires more effort, but in the long term, it is more effective. So that's another way we can vary the diet, different tasks and activities, different types of retrieval from multiple choice recognition to recall, and also written and verbal. And this is something that I'm still exploring and, and searching for, is information about verbal retrieval. I have read a little bit about this, but and this is really interesting because actually, if we, um, the reason why we probably do written retrieval or using um, technology and online quizzing tool is that we do want to have some association with and prepare students for exams and majority of the exams will in, involve written recall but there can be times where it may appear that a student is struggling with retrieval but actually the, the issue could be something else. It could be a literacy issue. It could be struggling to articulate and communicate that through writing. And I've seen this myself when, because I have created a, a placemat, a verbal retrieval placemat that I would project on the board and students would have these conversations. And some students would be able to recall lots of information really confidently, really quickly, but then I noticed that same student probably wouldn't have been able to do that if it was a written task. So, again, that's the issue there isn't necessarily the recall, but it is about their, their written communication and literacy skills. So mixing it up between um, verbal and written opportunities is another way we can vary that retrieval diet. Great stuff. And something else that we talked about, and again, depending on when you listen to this podcast, you might be listening to, um, you know, them back to back. We talked about the Love to Teach podcast and the Love to Teach oh, podcast yeah. is back. It so is back. tell us, tell us a little bit more about your last couple of episodes, Kate. Well, it's back thanks to you <laughs> and our conversation. Uh, and I'm really glad that I've got it uh, back up and running. And 
The first, well, not the first, but my most recent episode was about golden age of CPD because 2020 CPD has been incredible. It's, you know, there's not many things about this year that's been incredible, but we've had all of these online webinars and research at home. But, um, and this, this does link in with quality assurance with retrieval practice. I attended a webinar where there was a discussion of a range of things connected to teaching and learning. And there was an, an incorrect explanation of space practice. Uh, there was a, an explanation of space practice that said, students need to space their work, misalign, it will improve presentation and their long-term memory. I, I was in this webinar, I was muted. And <laughs> it just, it, it made me, well, I, I was really shocked, I was really surprised. Um, and I was really disappointed as well. And I think that's something to be very careful about when it comes to CPD. Uh, I'm really interested in dual coding. If somebody asked me to deliver a presentation on dual coding to a school, I would say no. I, I don't feel, even though I've read a lot about it, I've watched presentations. In our last conversation, I spoke about Adam Boxer and his research ed dual coding presentation. And I've read the work of Oliver Caviglioli. And I'm not saying they are the only people who should deliver CPD on it. But the point I'm making is that um, I just, I, I personally, I don't have the level of confidence. I don't think I have the depth of knowledge and understanding to deliver that CPD. And what is happening, not always, because majority of the CPD out there is incredible, but this isn't the first time that I've come across CPD where information is incorrect, where this research has been mutated, misunderstood, and then shared with other teachers. And that does need challenging and it does need addressing and I think we need to think very carefully about the CPD if you are delivering it then obviously it should be something that you are very knowledgeable uh, about and you have a very good grasp of it and if I've been asked a question about retrieval practice and I can't answer it that I will say that I've done live question and answers where there's been questions and I've said actually I'll get back to you. I will check because I would rather do that than <laughs> make something up or, or say something wrong. So I talked about CPD and then the latest episode of my retrieval, uh, my podcast was about retrieval practice, just covering what I consider the basic elements of cognitive psychology. So yeah, and my next episode is about uh, culture in schools about promoting kindness so I'm trying to be very varied it's a different podcast it's just me isn't it on my own talking <laughs> but I like it and it's perfectly timed as well um, for my five a day teacher five a day gentle jog because I can just about manage about 32 minutes which I think was the, uh, the yeah. roughly the length of, uh, of the last one so yeah it's, it's a good it's perfect for those of you like me who just like a little gentle jog for you serious runners out there yes I'm looking at you Emma Turner you know running marathons there's no chance that uh, you have to do you could do three or four love to teach podcasts on one of the longer runs couldn't you definitely <laughs> and 
uh, just on this on the delivering of CPD kit, and that's such a good point. Now, obviously, in a previous uh, job, that was one of my responsibilities, and we took that extremely seriously, um, trying to deliver CPD. And it was it's quite intimidating sometimes to be, you know, talking about all this evidence and research and trying to make sure you put it across correctly, especially with, as you referenced there, so many people out delivering this who know far far more than I do but one uh, one anecdote for you so I was involved not in the writing of the EEF uh, science guidance report but in the publicizing of it so I did some articles around some of the application of it for the Royal Society of Chemistry and I did some for Schools Week and things like that um, but I ended up getting um, <laughs> so that a booking that sounds terrible I ended up getting uh, asked to come along and speak at a conference about the science EEF guidance report so I was happy to do that because obviously I kind of knew it well but one of the strands was around metacognition um so i'm just setting up at the front and um i had my uh, my assistant with me when i say assistant it's a uh, child one he used to come around and, and and help me out with stuff and we're just settling down to deliver to you know a, a reasonable amount of people but who should stroll in but alex quigley oh <laughs> written the metacognition guidance report now I know, I know it's a little bit better now than certainly i did then but i was absolutely terrified to try and deliver basically what is his work back to him so that never was the pressure greater to make sure that you're referencing the work really quite really important to make sure you get it right so you're absolutely right you know if you're going to put yourself up there to deliver some cpd it's probably quite useful to read it and understand it and be able to ask questions around it because you know it can lead to these as you said these these dylan william uh, reference kind of lethal mutations but that can then spread and that that kind of spreads throughout schools then as well so it's really important to take the responsibility of cpd seriously yeah i i don't think i've done that in the past because in the past i have presented people have asked me to present on topics i've gone oh i don't really know much about it but okay i'll give it a shot that's totally the wrong attitude to have and my retrieval practice the first book when it was just in the manuscript stage I asked Jonathan Firth and Mark Healy who both have backgrounds in cognitive psychology they read the manuscript well as did you actually <laughs> when you endorsed it but I wanted them to, to check the cognitive psychology and I said please please correct me if there's anything that I've not explained correctly or any information because I, I'm a history teacher I don't have the psychology background so it was really important for me to to reach out to different people and and to get their advice to get their support to get their feedback and I think that's something that people should do more um, somebody posted um, that they were doing a retrieval practice webinar and I said oh that sounds great uh, I'll sign up for that because I, I do still like learning lots about retrieval practice I said have you read any books and they said no I haven't I thought well, you, you probably should and I didn't recommend my book I actually recommended make it stick but that baffled me a little bit that somebody was um doing a presentation that had that hadn't read any books about a topic um so I'm not yeah I don't I think we just need to think more carefully about um selecting CPD and the and volunteering to do it 
Definitely. And I mean, again, you know, referencing the podcast, there's been quite a few instances recently where, you know, I, I've almost, um, <laughs> sounds terrible, known the work even more than potentially the author has. So it's quite funny. I was laughing with um, our CEO, um, I, won't, I won't reference him, but obviously he'll know who he is. And he was talking about that I was interviewing E.D. Hirsch a couple of weeks ago and I quoted a part of his work back to him. And even the, the great E.D. Hirsch said, uh, is that is that from my book? And I said, I can't remember that section. And I thought, this is the levels we're going to on Nailers Natter, that we actually know the work better than the person who's written it. But it is it's really important that you, you, you know, do the courtesy one. And, you know, obviously we always interview people that were interested in the work. So if you're interested in the topic and you're interested in delivering CPD on it, then it's probably a good idea to, to read as widely around it as you can, listen to as many podcasts as you can, get as many presentations as you can to make sure that the audience that you're presenting to becomes much more knowledgeable as a result of listening to you. Yeah, and if people are giving up their time, and somebody said about the, the webinar with the space practice, they said, oh, it's paid. But actually, even if it's free, people are giving up their time to listen to you, then they, they deserve to, to actually, you know, that's an hour of their time. That's an hour they could be doing something else. It should be high quality regardless. So it is something that I take very seriously, and I'm glad you do at Nailers Matters too. <laughs> well, we absolutely do with the books, yeah. We try and... we. I've, I've, I read, I'm on about a book or two books a week just to make sure that uh, we get through it. But, but it's it's not a, in any way a chore because obviously it's a pleasure to read all these. And, and it really helps at school as well. And, you know, I often have comments, not from students, but from staff. And they'll say, oh, you know, you, you seem to know about that. And I think, well, this is the reason we're doing this. This is the best CPD for me. So if it's the best CPD for me, then it's probably a good chance that it's good for everybody else as well okay Kate I don't want to go into too much more detail because we do believe in obviously leaving listeners wanting more so um, this has been a taster for the new book retrieval practice to implementing embedding and reflecting so when will we see the book uh, in the shops where can we get it from what kind of events are you doing if you can do any as you mentioned there virtually or well potentially in person and just signpost as you always do to your website resources um, podcast etc yep so Hopefully the book will be out before the end of this year. Um, I'm just at the stage at the moment of editing and tweaking and it's very intense, but I'm almost there. So yes, um, John Catwell, and by the time this is released, John Cat will have released um, a date that you can order from their website or Amazon. But in December, I have something uh, very exciting and that is a teaching masterclass. Uh, this is with Tom Sherrington, Oliver Caviglioli, Ollie Lovell, and Mark and Zoe Emser. And this is a two-day event. It's £100 for the ticket, or £99, but the ticket can be accessed by everyone in the whole school. And you can watch the masterclasses live, or you can have the recorded, well, and you can have the recorded um copy of the masterclasses as well so tom will be talking about rose and shine ollie dual coding hence see i couldn't talk about it but oliver caviglioli he definitely can <laughs> i'll be talking about retrieval practice ollie lovell will be talking about cognitive load theory and the answers will be covering generative learning so i really am privileged to be part of that masterclass because i have attended tom's masterclass in the past and it was incredible. So we're all working behind the scenes on that already. And I, I think that's going to be a really special event. And I do have more books coming out next year. <laughs> One of them is uh, Tom Sherrington is the series editor. It's the In Action series, but I can't 
fully reveal that just yet. Um, I have another book about, um, it's called Be Kind. Um, I, I've almost finished this. I was inspired to write this by um, some things I saw online. Um, and I know Be Kind is sort of a trendy hashtag, but this book really does explore about the uh, creating a, a culture of kindness in schools. And it's completely different to anything I've ever written before. It's not teaching and learning ideas. It, it, it is about um, how we as a staff um, collectively and individually can just work towards creating a kinder work environment. Um, I've got another book further down the line with Robin McPherson about CPD and how that is completely changing now, isn't it? We're in a golden age of CPD. We've got Zoom CPD. So I'm really looking forward to writing that with Robin. So yeah, busy, busy. I was going to say, so another quite a few months for you, Kate. So on top of doing all the day job, we're doing all this as well. But, you know, as you always uh, talk about, you know, it, it's a pleasure and it's an enjoyment. It's not it's not a chore, is it, to do these to do these books? Obviously, it's something that you're passionate about, something that you enjoy, and it's something that, that you benefit from and a lot of other people benefit from as well. So that's really exciting to hear that. So the Be Kind book, um, that's, that's quite an interesting concept because I don't – I think that staff well-being and, you know – the, the discourse around social media is really really important at the moment because i mean as we are speaking now and you can probably hear it in the voice uh, listeners this is the end of uh, the first half term so i'm speaking to you on the last friday as uh, we broke up yesterday so it's friday the 23rd of october today so i mean it's been a, quite an intense term so do you mind i mean we can we can always cut this stuff out he says hoping that we uh, don't okay. tell us a little bit more about how you came up with that idea for the book what kind of things you're suggesting and you know how we as a profession can try and be kind to each other a little bit more going into 2021 well i'm incredibly lucky to to work at the school i'm at where this year's been really difficult i am a, a single woman in the middle east which is fine but with a global pandemic and isolation and not knowing when i'll be able to travel back to see my family the kindness from my colleagues has has been incredibly important so I work in an environment where I do think there is a culture of kindness. And I have, I have worked in an environment where I felt it lacked kindness. So what my good friend Tom Rogers has spoke about a lot, where he spoke about um, a toxic culture. And I saw something online where um, about a school promoting kindness on their, on their social media page. And it was just, it's that idea again of live it, don't laminate it. Yeah, how we can have oh, hashtag be kind. Well, actually, what does that really mean? Let's get down to it. And the, ch the first chapter is about um, kindness with students and a few uh, misconceptions around that, about what actually being kind to students. Like some people think, so you know, letting, letting them off and um, giving them, you know, um, an afternoon to have pizzas as a reward and missing lessons. Well, no, that's that, there's other ways that we can be kind to our students and I, I really do think that's essential that we teach students to be kind to each other to themselves to the teachers uh, the second chapter which has been really interesting to write is is about kindness amongst staff it, it tackles things like gossip <laughs> um, about conversations about being kind to people when actually some people say oh kindness it's easy it's not hard be kind actually it can be difficult 
there are times that um, we might be struggling ourselves, we may be tired, it could be hormonal, but there's lots of things that means that kindness isn't always easy. Or what's about being kind to the people who aren't kind to you, but you have to work with them or that you, you don't agree with them. And all of these sort of potential issues around kindness. And I do think the whole just be kind, it's not hard, um, is, it can be easier said than done. And then, of course, um, I'll be writing about kindness online. Edu Twitter, woof. <laughs> there's always some sort of argument happening and I've been involved in it myself I have made comments that um, whilst I don't think I've been incredibly nasty I think I, I could have done better and I've reflected on that and um, and then the, finally the chapter is about being kind to ourselves which what does that actually mean and how can we do that and why is it important and I've absolutely loved writing that book it was it's got quite a lot of me in it in comparison to the other books, quite a lot of uh, my personality, my experiences. It's got insights from other teachers. Um, there's a section about bereavement and how we can support each other with bereavement or with a, a student with bereavement. And I've actually got case studies where people have volunteered and, and shared stories with me about how their teachers were incredibly kind to them when they experienced a bereavement or when their colleagues were and, and just, again, like I said about me isolating and how kindness for me this year has been everything. So, yeah, a totally different book. I hope people find that interesting. Well, they absolutely will. And you've been very kind to us, Kate. So this is uh, the end of the third podcast. And thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Looking forward to all those books coming out. Um, and they're going to do fabulously, I'm sure. So I'll put some details in the show notes about where you can get that from. Thanks again, Kate. Thank you so much. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Podcast Pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast Pedagogy, listening to teachers. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Right, National Teacher Five-A-Day Week. Episode seven, believe it or not. Series one, um gobsmacked that I've got to the second National Teacher Five a Day Week number one that's the amazing surprise amazed that um, people still want to listen to stuff on a podcast to do with Teacher Five a Day so that's really good I know that you've listened to the jingles that Phil kindly places on the front of the podcast on Nailers Natters um, but I think I've extended the series to have another conversation with one of my mates that I've met through Twitter so it seems like it's self-indulgent but it's not because I, I want to be providing people with the opportunity to hear uh, a range of diverse voices. So um, it's this morning here and it's this afternoon over in um, Malaysia where Liz Cloak is. Uh, I just want to say um, thank you very much for coming along today. Thank you, Martin. I, I can't believe it's the first time that we've actually spoken and seen each other almost in the flesh. Um, but it's a real honour to be with you this morning, this afternoon, nearly the evening. So We'd, thanks for having me. We've just had our little pre-chat and I can't remember, we didn't talk about how many years that we've um, exchanged Teacher Five a Day tweets. It's probably more than a handful. Yeah, I, would I think say. it's 2014-ish, I think. Yeah. So yeah, six years, yeah. Yeah. And then surprisingly, um, we have a mutual friend who's from Portsmouth. We do. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I thought I'd talk about the next 20 Four minutes hours. of how I used to set up 
uh, Matthew, uh, when he played centre forward and I was a creative midfield player, <laughs> he would drift and I would just pop the ball. It's probably not the best use of time. And then he would just tap it in, right? Yeah. And talk about it forever. <laughs> I don't know if he was like that in work. <laughs> yeah, always. I shall message him and say that he's going to get a special shout out, just so he knows. So <laughs> I thought today we could talk a little bit about your career generally. Um, so where you started uh, and then where you've ended up. I think that's most important at the minute in terms of well-being. Uh, a little bit about teaching in a variety of different places. And then all of the well-being work that you've done in your school, um, which I think has been um, admirable. Thank you. Yeah, well... <sighs> I can't believe um, I've been, this is my 17th year of teaching. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm old enough to be 17 years in, but um, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I started down in Portsmouth. Uh, so again, sort of within the same vicinity as you, Martin. Um, I did my teacher training in Chichester. And before I actually uh, even started my degree, I had no idea that I really wanted to be a teacher. I loved sport. Um, I was playing basketball at a sort of a national and international level, but um, enjoyed everything. And um, I got towards the end of my business management and sports science degree and um, having hung out with lots of the sports teams, decided that actually oh, that was the, the direction that I wanted to go. So I did uh, my secondary PE, uh, PGCE at Chichester, absolutely loved it. Had a couple of really good placements down on the south coast and, and then uh, ended up at Milton Cross in Portsmouth, where I had a fabulous PE department who saw me through and mentored me through. And uh, I had lots of opportunities to get involved in various different initiatives and uh, build on my CV um, in, in Portsmouth and, and worked across with the PE departments in the city, which was fab. Um, and then after four years, I got itchy feet and it was a little bit on the, the do I do I stay or do I move on from, from Milton Cross? And I actually got a sabbatical um, for two years with the, the head teacher that was there. So that was, you know, a real positive. And, I, and anyone thinking about going over overseas, uh, but you're not sure that you want to commit for, you know, give up everything. Um, it's something that you can discuss, certainly, with um, the head teacher and the governors. I saw it as a positive. It was me wanting to then come back to Milton Cross, which I did. And um, I brought back different skill sets, um, more enthusiasm, uh, because it was just getting a little bit where I needed something different. So the two years in Thailand where I was, um, I, I had a very different experience in Thailand, uh, came back. And, and although it was a big shock to the system for those first um, few days, it was only a couple of weeks before I got settled back into the, the, the life in Portsmouth again. And... Uh, you know those behavior strategies came out and uh the, the cold um we're having to wear jackets and tracksuit bottoms again on the astro turf um but being back with the, the team that was so fantastic with me for the first four years and i managed to improve myself and go into the middle leadership team and then the senior leadership team and taking on uh, various opportunities again because I, I don't tend to say no to things uh, and like to take a risk and get involved step outside my comfort zone and uh, I ended up doing my MPQSL um, just I, I finished it as I came to Malaysia um, the second time round uh, well not second time but um, my second international stint so I'd done all the groundwork in school for the school um, and then sort of 
decided that it was time to either buy a house and settle down or go and have another adventure again. Um, and it was the adventure that I got um, when I applied to come out to KL. And um, as a position, I, I, I stepped down um, into um, middle leadership and I did the head of PE and director of sport role at a huge school. Um, so again, very different environment to what it was in um, Portsmouth. But um, I was working in the just outside the city of um, KL, but working with a, a huge um, array of different school setups in terms of the PE. Um, and then again, had my opportunity to have a secondment into the SLT team uh, and then was the deputy head. Um, in charge of the teaching and learning, which was always where my passion was. But I had had different experiences in with different roles and responsibilities in my um, previous school as um, the assistant vice principal. So, uh, yeah, and then once I'd had uh, the deputy headship, I had the opportunity to um, step up into my headship uh, role that I'm in now. And I'm in the same group of schools, which is Tembe, and we're owned by ISP, which is the International Schools Partnership. And I'm now in Penang at a, a very lovely school um, with amazing students and staff. And uh, I love its bits. And uh, it's been, well, this is my fifth year now, which is the longest I've stayed in any consecutive um, role and uh, yeah it's it's great I've had plenty of challenges loads of learning along the way and uh, I can still see how we can get better uh, and that's partly why I'm still here so I don't think the job is done yet so that that sounds like a title for a book that then from Basingstoke <laughs> to Penang what a, what a career that is people who are not from this neck of the woods don't understand the hotbed of talent that comes out of Chichester, number one. Mm-hmm. I think every PE teacher in the world down here is a, is a graduate of Chichester. Um, yeah. So I guess you learned a lot Very from good. that. What I was interested as well is, is the business side of things. You know, when you're mm. talking about your initial qualifications, is, is that yeah. sort of stood you in good stead at all? Um, yes, yeah, because uh, I didn't realise at the time how, how useful it would have been. Um, and it, it was something that just kept my, like we, we say to the students now, it was, it was keeping my options open, really. Um, but yeah, I, I studied um, uh, strategic marketing. Um, I was doing statistics. Um, yeah, that, and I, the culture and the organisation, um, although it was many years ago now, it, it certainly has um, helped me um, even research and, and sort of take things further forward um, with those particular topic areas. Um, I have had to um, <laughs> deliver business studies as well when I was back in Portsmouth. I haven't had to oh. since, um, thankfully, but, you know, if I, if I needed to at any time, then I think I could probably uh, delve out that knowledge um, from the back of my brain somewhere, hopefully. <laughs> one, one, of the, um, one of the links that seems to have run through all of the podcasts are people's formative experiences so when they're training and then the first five years where they pick up all of their habits and all their skill sets so I guess all of that stuff from the background that you studied in um, and then your current role would be really useful um, and I know the the, the school well uh, in Portsmouth Milton Cross I've got memories of playing a hockey game down there that Matt had organized as well so I might have even yeah. played hockey against you Ah, oh, quite possibly. Yeah, I would always be on the team. Yeah, yeah, whether they wanted me or not. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But having worked, having worked in a similar environment at the start of my career up in Nottingham, I think sometimes working in um, environments like Milton Cross give you loads of opportunities. Uh, yeah, and it's really it interesting that you've said, you know, how do, how do you go about creating opportunities for yourself as well? Um, so good tips there for people yeah, about secondments yeah. and the like. Yeah. So what about um, the, the sort of once you'd moved the first move to Thailand, what was the thing that sort of dragged you back out again? You know, you could have settled, like you said. What's the thing that's made you sort of be a, a bit of a different career path to your bog standard regular teacher five a day podcast listener? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for, for me, I've always had a love for travel. I did a round the world trip before I did my PGC at Chichester. Um, so just the adventure, uh, the travel, the opportunities to go and learn about new cultures and coming over to Asia um, again, uh, I, I, I know some areas uh, obviously better than others, uh, but it just gives you the quality of life. Um, and it also gives you that opportunity to, that with the holiday, we get additional holidays. Sorry to rub it in, um, Martin, we get additional holidays. Um, and also, Malaysia, not that this was a reason for coming to Malaysia, but Malaysia has, I think, one of the top, uh, is top for the public holidays, number of public holidays nice. in the world. So I think we have an additional 15 or 16 public holidays. Yeah, not bad, hey? Very good. Um, so that with the weather, um, the fact that I could get on an AirAsia flight and travel and explore over a weekend, um, it was an appeal to me. And just to have a completely different um, school environment, um, gone from you know a, a, a team um, at Milton Cross uh, and being in my comfort zone again, and then just... <laughs> going for it basically it could have been a different school within the same area or it was okay let's let's see what else is out there and I had the opportunity um it was a it was a colleague that I'd worked in Thailand before who interviewed me so sometimes it is who you know yeah uh, on the international scene or even back in the UK um so took that opportunity and yeah it's it was only again going to be for a couple of years just for a break um but again what's the the offers and the opportunities that have come up have uh, well i'm still here <laughs> yeah and i think through the wonders of social media people have seen those um opportunities nowadays as well i think you managed to pick yeah. up some stuff from bears and stalk was that right through the vine maybe oh uh not in penang but possibly across the tembi group because there's yeah. Um, six schools across um, Malaysia so yeah quite possibly so was so, is it yeah. is it sort of before you went out there was was it like a well-being choice or do you think it's just developed into something that's enhanced your well-being whilst you've you've worked in the profession yeah I think it's I think it was a bit of both um but it, it did get to the point where uh, me and my partner we would be work 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 not really see each other of it an evening um, we'd be home it's you know it was the same for both of us and we'd get home at seven o'clock be exhausted um, and then you know the, the grey damp days um, the, the costs of living and we just thought right let's let's do something different um, before we're too old uh, and go out but I, I still see people of all ages um who are coming out onto the international scene 
Um, so even if we end up going back to the UK, which is a possibility um, definitely at some point, it doesn't mean that it's forever. Um, but I think once you're out on the international scene, um, and even if you're in the UK, you're building your network with the social media, then you know, you've got those links. And you know, I, I'm still friends with people that I worked with in Thailand 10 years ago. Mm. And I, I'm in contact on LinkedIn and Twitter with um, you know, leaders and, and other teachers who I worked with too. And you know, so I've now got a network of not just um, sort of a, a PLN, but friends around the world, um, which is amazing. It's interesting. The, um, so the, the stuff for National Teacher Five a Day a Week is hosted on the Teacher Empowerment website. And one of the mm-hmm. things that Catherine's talked about a lot, um, and that one of the things that drew us to the work that she's done really, is to try and empower teachers to understand that if it's not working where they are, there's a variety of different choices that they can make. So it doesn't have to be the school that they're in in the first instance it doesn't even have to be the area that they're in or the phase that they're in and then i think to help people understand that a not all schools are the same and then b there are a huge variety of opportunities are available that are, i think it's a definitely i think since my time at the isle of white that's probably the the major that's getting on for 10 years now definitely a, a more plausible route for people to take than it than it used to be yeah definitely and i think um the international scene once upon a time was seen as not particularly great it was a bit of a you know a dos go away have a holiday um, and the schools didn't have the status that they have now but with the schools from the uk particularly um coming out and buying sister schools and associating the names you know you've got the wellingtons the dulledges the shrewsbury's um all of those big ones and then you've got 10 Bs and we're all competing. So yeah. the, the, the quality of what is now being offered in terms of the teaching, the learning, the well-being, and the staff retention, the CPD, everything is way better than what I experienced in my first international school, what uh, 10 year, over 10 years ago now. And, and the schools have got to um, keep up with that in order to keep their staff. And, yeah. and you can end up in a, a school that's just, you know, plodding along. But depending on what you want, um, and I don't want to be in a school that's plodding along. I want to be in a school that's moving forward, is, mm. you know, taking um, uh, risks to develop their curriculum, making it 21st century, you know, supporting and making sure that the students going through my school, our school, is uh, is preparing them for the next steps beyond our sick form into the real world. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it depends what you want. And I think, yeah, my work-life balance here is definitely um, more balanced than what it was um, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I'm still here so So, what what about all of the things that you've put into your schooling so thinking about that that experience that you've had and the Mm -hmm. ability that you've been able to link back to and be part of um, CPD and I guess that's sort of like the interconnectedness of education now as well isn't it we're a service industry there's a lot Mm -hmm. of specialisms in the UK doesn't mean that you can't be part of that so so what is your school now you know the things that you're most proud of uh, and I know the, um, the tremendous amount of work that you've done on well-being how's that impacting your staff and your students 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of our staff and the well-being, um, I'm very passionate about it, and I and I try as a, a leader to um, advocate um, that. Um, so it's. Um, you know, it's the simple things such as making sure that there's a calendar that works for everybody, making sure that the, the meeting schedules are in place ahead of time so people can plan and organise themselves. It's making sure that, you know, if we don't need to have a meeting, and let's put it in an email, let's do that. Uh, so, you know, there's simple things like that. But it's also we're at the point where where we have um, a mixture of locals and expats from very different backgrounds. For us now, it's it, although all I, those things have been put in place, and we have a wellbeing committee at school, um, and we make sure that you know there's no emails over the weekend, and it's it's reasonable times um, during the day as well, um, and all those sort of things that we do, along with the birthday cards, um, with make it you know I go in and I check in on everybody on our first day back, and our you know corridor conversations, making sure that my SLT are doing the same, and developing those relationships, and knowing you know how so and so's child is, um, and how they're doing after they've been sick or whatever it might be, and um, making sure that the, the staff are feeling supported, um, but it's. We're now at the point where our, particularly our local staff, they, they've not experienced the UK in terms of the, the well-being and trying to get that work balance. So it's trying to now educate um, at all of our staff yeah. uh, from the different backgrounds to make sure that they are also aware that they are responsible for their well-being. So we're doing all these things as leaders or as middle leaders or as teachers, but it's, it's about them understanding now how they can take ownership um, for their own personal well-being so that's something that we want to um, sort of start tackling um, in the new year it's funny we were talking before we we came on about um so i've got um, a similar experience but instead of my dad being a teacher he worked in the oil industry so he worked around a variety of different places in the world and it was always interesting listening to the cultural differences in terms of people's approaches to work um, so we're mm -hmm. saying about we lived in holland for a bit and the dutch had work-life balance sorted in the 80s never mind um you know that contrast between an american oil company and a and a dutch sort of family-based theory of this is what yeah. work's all about I'd, I'd never thought about that in terms of your context and then marrying all of the the different people together it must be must be yeah. interesting yeah it's, it's, it's really interesting having the the different diversities um all, all together and you know even within malaysia we have you know so many different celebrations to represent all the cultures um, who are here and then you've got the expats from mostly from uh, the UK but we we have South Africans in our team um, as well and uh, I'm trying to think we've had French and uh, Moroccan and uh, Australian and uh, so yeah it's really interesting. So how has how all of that translated for the students as well have you done anything specifically well-being wise for the students and, and what sort of impacts has that had? Yeah I mean we, we have um, and we have again developed it over the last few years and um, particularly we've had a focus on our um, students with the, particularly with the lockdown um, and we went into a very strict lockdown back in March for until sort of June time and then we, we're closed at the moment so we've gone back to online learning um, which is going very well but we've got more freedom this time around but we've done well-being 
um, Wednesday. So we've had digital detoxes, trying to get the students off the screens, trying to give them something different to do. Um, so they're being a bit more creative, hands on. Um, we do regular surveys with our students to make sure that, you know, we're, we're picking out those um, key students who are low on the figures for example and then it's a follow-up with the actions so we're looking out for them the last I think it's the last two years at least and um, we've had a school counsellor um, right. who has been a permanent member of our staff team as well and um, the school counsellor is available for staff and for students yeah uh, and that's a that's been a big difference here again culture wise um, mental health can be quite a taboo subjects and I think compared to where the UK are now I think we're probably a good few years behind um, so having those conversations and our PSHE has a big focus on um, all that the mental health mental well-being how to look after yourself friendship social emotional all of those um, is it is delivered um, across our year and it ha we have a transient sort of year seven to year eight to year nine all the way up to year 13 make sure that we're supporting the students um, in school but also to you know consider each other outside of school as well so the surveys has been, have been a good introduction and that that's helped us pinpoint key students that maybe don't speak up as much as you would yeah. but we try and emphasize again um, on the pastoral side with our teaching and learning uh, sorry with our pastoral um, student learning and well-being team about developing the, the relationships with the students again sometimes it can be very uh, poker face um, nobody wants to talk about you know how they're actually feeling so sometimes in a survey those those students that don't want to speak um, can put it through in a different channel so we can identify them and, and support them appropriately Brilliant. So just to wrap things up, next steps for you, if you were looking into a little sort of three to five year view, obviously people will be ringing up now, emailing you <laughs> on Twitter, please can we have you to come and lead our school, where, where do you fancy next? That'd be lovely. Um, gosh, um, I'm a bit scared about coming back to the UK or somewhere colder. I think I've um, got a little bit too comfortable in my shorts and t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> so I'll have to toughen up again. It's two um, and a half degrees it, outside of my window at the minute. <laughs> um, so I think if it, leaving here with the sunsets, the, the balcony views, <laughs> the swimming pool, it's got to be something very different again. So, you know, going from Portsmouth to Penang was very different. Uh, yeah. And I think it's got to be very different again. So maybe it'll be a city. Um, maybe it'll be leafy green suburbs somewhere. Um, closer to home would be nicer to be able to see the family grow yeah. up. Um, I've got little nieces and nephews now who, um, yeah, they're used to, used to me on the screen. But I haven't, haven't seen them all for a long time, as you can imagine. So that gets a little bit tough yeah. at times. Um, so yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, oh, options open. And, I'd uh, say watch this space. An adventure. Yeah, I'd say watch this space. The way that you've been um, sort of transforming the stuff over there, I think people will be very lucky to have you. Um, no, okay, you so we finished with um, every person that I've spoke to so far has given three top tips 
um, for if they were starting their career. So this thing about you pick up all of your habits about your teaching career in your first five years. If you were back in Milton Cross with that great PE department again, who've obviously helped you with the relationship side of things and looking after people, uh, yeah, that comes through like loud and clear. What three things would you say to the uh, to the Liz that arrived at Milton Cross? Oh wow, um, gosh. Her, her hair was not as silver as it is today. Uh, <laughs> um, what would I say to Liz uh, 17 years ago? Yeah, network, network, uh, network, network, connect with people um, and develop not just, um, I'm, I'm not just talking about Twitter and the social media side, I'm talking about within your school network as well. Um, know who you can go to, know who you can go and observe and learn things from and just be a sponge um, and try things and that probably leads into my next one with take a risk you know volunteer to do um, the assemblies whether it scares you to death um, for those first few was an NQT um, get out there and I, that's when I first started to get the love for, for um, the, the pastoral and the um, sort of speaking to people about my passion so it was delivering you know assemblies on world aged aid day um aids uh, day and international women's day and all of those um wider aspects um and global um issues that you can make a difference with um and then number three um just keep it real um i think you know everybody's got their limits and and know your limits um Exercise wise, know your limits. Uh, don't beat yourself up about things that you don't do, can't do, um, but make, make time for you. Be kind to yourself um, and, you know, fill, fill your day um, with positives. So whether it's positive people, uh, positive things that you're saying, that you're hearing, that you're working with the kids. And uh, yeah, I think that's my, my top three. That's brilliant. Absolutely superb, that is. So I don't think I could have had a better guest for National Teacher Five a Day Week. It's been, a, it's been an absolute honour. Uh, I think it is. 2014, I think you were probably one of the first people to get involved as well. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. And you managed to maintain it all the way through. So the five ways for well-being uh, lived out in what you do, I think. So I think you've achieved that balance. Patrick talks about being a well-being supermodel i think you're very much in that in that mantle so it's been oh, amazing it, it, it's been amazing to have the conversation it's refilled my cup again today so i'm chirpier oh. than i was at the start of the day without a shadow of a doubt um, <laughs> and i'll i'll make sure that when the phone starts ringing that people uh, get in touch with you about about the next steps <laughs> and it'd be great That's to awesome. have a, a, a proper catch-up at some point yeah most definitely most yeah. definitely um, I'll, I'll come visit when I'm when I'm back in yeah. uh, the UK, whenever that might be. But if you manage to get out to Malaysia, you know, <laughs> give me a shout. But thank yeah. you for everything that you've done as well, Martin. I think the Teacher Five a Day is fantastic, and I'm very much an advocate and uh, would recommend anybody and everybody to get involved. So yeah, great work. Thank you for involving me in everything that you're doing. That's brilliant. Okay, enjoy the sunset. I look forward I to do. seeing the picture. <laughs> I'll do the, I'll do the, I'll do the opposite for you tonight the grey dull Portsmouth skyline okay mate take care keep it real have All a right. nice, have Thanks, a nice one cheers bye see you bye 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 
Miller's Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Miller's Natter, just talking to teachers.